Okay. This morning, uh, we're beginning a, a long series on the Gospel of Luke. I'm anticipating we'll be studying Luke for about eight and a half years. Just kidding. I say that so that when I tell you it's probably going to be a year and a half, that doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> um, the Gospel of Luke is, uh, is a gospel that shows us the heart of God. And it shows us the heart of God by showing us a portrait of Jesus that is very up close and very personal. In fact, 35% of the stories in this book and the, the parables and the, the stories that are told by Luke, they are unique to the Gospel of Luke. And they show us a Jesus who is full of compassion. They show us a God of love. Did you know that if not for Luke, we wouldn't know the story of the Good Samaritan or of the prodigal son? We wouldn't know about the woman who cleaned Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. We wouldn't know the story of little Zacchaeus. We wouldn't know about the resurrection of the widow's son. And we wouldn't get to see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. And so I'm really excited about this gospel. I've actually never preached through the gospel of Luke before. And so we're going to begin this morning. Uh, we're going to read the first four verses of chapter 1 first. And it says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. I want you to notice how Luke describes his gospel. He calls it a narrative, which is a collection of stories, specifically from the life of Jesus. And he says that these stories were collected from eyewitnesses, people who actually saw what happened he calls it an orderly account, which is interesting. It's very Presbyterian, right? Orderly account. And he explicitly states his purpose in writing. He says that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. It's an interesting word, right? We live in a time when people don't like to claim certainty about anything when even Christians are afraid to say that they're certain about things. And yet the Bible says that we can have certainty about who Jesus is and what He's accomplished. Luke is different than the other Gospels because his audience was different. 
Luke wrote this gospel explicitly to convince other Gentiles, non-Jewish people, that Jesus was the Son of God. Luke himself was probably a Greek convert, and so he was a second-generation Christian. He's not one of the eyewitnesses, and he's, he's writing to other second-generation Christians, and apparently he's writing to one man in particular. And so we get to listen in as Luke defends the gospel to one man who is struggling with his doubts. And maybe that's you this morning. You've been taught the gospel, you've been taught the Bible, but you have doubts. And Luke offers you certainty in the things that you have been taught. And so I want to encourage you to stick with us to the end, okay? If, uh, if, what, if what Luke is teaching, if what the Bible says is actually true, then it's absolutely worth your time, right? And if you get to the end of it and you're like, yeah, I still don't buy it, I mean, you haven't really wasted your time. At least you've investigated, right? At least you've you know, uh, sought to find out. And so um, I promise you it will be worth it. Please stick with us. Now we're going to go ahead and skip just a bit because I'm going to cover the birth story of Jesus at Christmas. We're going to come back to chapter 1 in December. We're going to skip to the end of chapter 2 this morning, beginning with verse 41. And this is the first real picture of Jesus, the earliest picture of Jesus um, that's not a baby in the Bible, what he was like. And Luke is the only gospel that tells us about this event. Okay, so Luke chapter 2, verse 41. <clears throat> it says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him, or then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Now this sounds a little bit like the movie Home Alone. Okay? And I'm asking the question, how did they make it a whole day without noticing that Jesus was missing? I mean, imagine the anxiety that his parents must have been feeling. Not just that they've lost their 12-year-old son. They think that they've lost the child of promise. The, the savior of mankind, okay? We're the worst parents in the world. We've misplaced the Savior, right? <laughs> because they understand somewhat who Jesus was at this point, and now he's missing. Now, of course, when you stop to think about it, their faith should have eliminated that anxiety. Okay, how 
could the Savior be lost? Jesus was not lost. They were lost, right? And that's actually the point of this story. We're going to come back to it later, but I want to let's look and see where was Jesus, okay? Verse 46. Let's find out where Jesus was. It says, after three days, three days, that's a really long time, okay, to be missing your 12-year-old. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus, 12 years old, already had better answers to his own questions than the teachers in the temple. Okay? This is not back home synagogue in Nazareth. This is the temple in Jerusalem, and he's got better answers. Verse 48, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Now, we understand Mary's question, don't we? I mean, with any other 12-year-old, her question is completely justified. And we understand their distress. Losing your child in a city for three days was dangerous. Even, even then, even in Jerusalem. But Luke tells us this story to help us understand that Jesus was something more than a normal 12-year-old. Now, of course, he is, a, he is fully human. And we get that. We sense that even in this story. But there's something more going on here. And this is where I need to confess something to you. When I read this story... I'm tempted to imagine Jesus as this precocious, smarty-pants little kid, right? Like young Sheldon or Doogie Hauser or something, right? He's just embarrassing all these adults with his intelligence. When I read this story, that's what I think of, but that's not what we're supposed to see. That is, I think, we read it that way with our own cultural bias. And so I want to try to correct that. So this week, everyone, you know, your kids, teachers, everybody's headed back to school. And so I want you to think of it like this. Jesus was a school-age child, but he was at or near his coming of age. So in the Jewish culture, still to this day, 13, that's, that's when you're coming of age, right? And so he was actually nearing the end of his formal childhood education. The only textbook that they had was the Old Testament. And they didn't learn it by reading it. They learned it by repeating and memorizing the words of their teacher. In fact, very few children actually learned to read. Most boys by this age were busy learning a trade from their father. They were preparing for adult life. And they were, you know, by age 12, they were really anxious to finish up that religious training, to not be a child anymore, and to get on with adult life. 
but not Jesus. Jesus was completely saturated with the Word of God. And that's the first thing that Luke wants us to learn about Jesus. That He absolutely loved the Word of God. This was, this was not a boy who liked to sit around and embarrass adults with his Bible knowledge. This was a young man who loved the Word of God and loved talking about it. He loved thinking about it. And Luke tells us why. Look at how Jesus responds to Mary. Verse 49. Jesus said to them, Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? And they did not understand the saying that He spoke to them. Why don't they understand? They don't understand because they don't know the Word of God as well as Jesus did at 12. Now, having said that, I'm certain, I'm certain that Joseph and Mary knew their Bible. I'm certain that they were committed to the Lord and that they were committed to teaching their children His Word. But Jesus refers to the temple of Yahweh as my Father's house. And this shocked and confused everyone, including Joseph and Mary. Why? I like the way David Gooding explains it. He says, in all the long biblical record, not even Moses who had built the tabernacle, not David who longed to build the temple, nor Solomon who had actually built it, no prophet, no king, no commoner, not the most exalted of them had ever referred to the tabernacle or temple as my father's house. Nobody else in the Bible calls it that. Now I want you to remember the temple. We don't get this because we worship in, in, in clean buildings, right? Where we just come in our Sunday best and go home. The temple was a place where the most holy God demanded that His people bring animal sacrifices. It was a bloody place. It was a loud place. It was a sacred place. And at the deepest part of that temple was a room that no one could enter except for once a year and only then by the high priest under strict rules, likely terrified that if he gets something wrong, he's dead. And this boy from a small town with an unusual knowledge of the Bible casually refers to the temple as my father's house. Verse 51. And Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. I love that. Treasured it all up in her heart. 
And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You notice what Luke doesn't say. He doesn't say that Jesus went home. It says he went to Nazareth, but Nazareth was not home. Home for Jesus was with the Father. And what this story teaches us, more, most importantly, is that Jesus understood from a very young age that he had a special relationship with God that no one else on earth had ever conceived of. He had a relationship with God that no one dreamed was possible. It was not something that Jesus learned that day in the temple. It was something that he assumed. It was something that he took for granted. He just knew it in his bones. This is my father's house. The only thing that really seems to surprise Jesus in this story is the fact that Mary and Joseph did not know this. And what does that tell us? Again, it tells us that Jesus was not the one lost in this story. His parents were lost. The teachers were lost. The entire world was lost. In fact, this is one of the most important themes that we're going to see in the Gospel of Luke. We are lost. That word, lost, without Jesus. This is exactly how Jesus will describe His own mission in Luke 19. He says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And already at age 12, Jesus began to realize that the people around Him were completely lost. That He had an experience of God that they did not have. He knows God as Father. These people do not. But they should have. Even though no one in the Bible referred to God as a Father before Jesus, God had described Himself as a Father many times. Many, many times in the prophets. And in each of those cases, God describes Himself as a Father, but then He highlights specifically His work of redemption. Every time you find Father in the prophets, it's coupled with this work of redemption, this promise of God to lift His people out of sin and death because He's a Father. And already Jesus begins to connect these dots. Already He begins to understand His purpose. Jesus knows He's got a special relationship with the Father. <clears throat> and He wants us to experience that kind of relationship with God. 
This is where we begin to see the heart of God. And there are little hints throughout this story that tell us that this is true. That already Luke is beginning to show us how Jesus was going to do it. How is it possible for us to experience God as our Father? We see it in the submissive nature of Jesus. Just as Jesus willingly followed Joseph and Mary back to Nazareth, obeying His earthly parents completely, Jesus is later going to submit fully to the will of His Father in heaven, going to a place that He didn't really want to go. We see it in the final words of this story that Jesus grew in favor with both God and man. It's an important theme in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus was fully God and fully man, that He had to be both. That's the only way Jesus could actually accomplish this mission of bringing us into right relationship with the Father. He had to be both. But the most important, most powerful glimmer of hope that we see in this story is really a minor detail. And Luke was a doctor. He was a master of detail. He shares little things throughout the gospel that others may have missed. Little details in the stories that are so just exciting to me. How many days did Luke say that Jesus was missing? Three days. Three days, Jesus was missing, but not really missing, right? And how many days did Jesus spend in the tomb? Three days. For three days, Jesus' disciples would suffer distress believing that Jesus was lost. That the mission was lost. But if they knew the Word, if they had paid closer attention, they shouldn't have been worried at all. Luke chapter 2, verse 49 that we read this morning, it gives us the first recorded words of Jesus in the Bible. Jesus says to His parents, Why were you looking for Me? Did you not know that I must be in My Father's house? Luke 23, verse 46, gives us the last words of Jesus just before He dies on the cross. And do you remember what He said? Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. From beginning to end, Jesus was completely devoted to His Father. And none of us can say that, right? From beginning to end, a mess. <laughs> An absolute atrocious mess of faithlessness and sin and struggle. 
But from beginning to end, Jesus was completely devoted to His Father. Even facing down the wrath of God for sin, He leaves Himself in His Father's hands. And do you understand that the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus is what makes it possible for God to become our Father too? That's how it works. Jesus was never lost. He was doing exactly what He was meant to do. We're the ones who were lost. And so we see the heart of God even now, even already in 12-year-old Jesus. Already Jesus is concerned for us that we don't know what it feels like to be certain that we have a Father in Heaven who loves us. How could you not know this feeling? Already we see this. Do you know that this morning? Do you know for certain? Do you know for certain that you have a Father in Heaven who loves you? I do. Y'all, I know it for certain. Now, I, I sometimes forget, but then I hear the Gospel and again I'm reminded, y'all, humans did not write this story. There's no way. There's no way that Luke made this up. It's just too good. God did this. God wrote this. And He's offering you today the opportunity to know Him as your Father and to know this as your Father's house with certainty. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, gracious Father, Holy Spirit, we pray that You would be glorified by these words. Your story We commit ourselves to You, Father. We thank You that we can call You Father because of the work of Christ and that it is possible for us to know with certainty that these things are true because You say they are. And as we turn our attention now to this table before us, a reminder of the submission of Christ, the obedience of Christ, even to death on a cross, that it would be a means of grace for us that we would be taking it in faith that You are sufficient, that Your righteousness is sufficient, that we receive it with empty hands. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.